Do you boast about tomorrow? If yes, is that a sin? Find out on Change by Grace. Welcome to Change by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. We're looking again today at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And we're learning what the Bible teaches about biblical planning. A self-confident planner does not consider God in any of his plans. Well, what about you? Let's learn more from James chapter 4. Scripture forbids boasting of tomorrow. Let me give you two passages that talk about that. The first one is Proverbs 27 and verse 1. Look at that. Notice what it says. He says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. How could you know what tomorrow will bring forth? You don't even know what the next five minutes is going to occur. You don't know what's going to happen after you leave here. You don't know what the evening's going to be like. You don't know anything. You don't know when you get in your car and you go to drive home what's going to take place. Have you ever had those flashbacks before? Say maybe you got in an accident, you rear-ended somebody, and you're thinking, wow, just five minutes ago this didn't happen. Of course. Five minutes ago you weren't there. How could you have predicted that? You were driving as careful as you could be. You didn't have your cell phone glued to your chin at that moment. Oh, I don't like getting behind somebody that's doing this because they're not paying attention. I try to get around them, and they just kind of lean over toward the next lane. Or they drive real slow. I'm thinking, just get you, a, you know, one of these headsets. And then you've got your hands off the phone. You've got your hands on the wheel. That's the way I prefer to drive. works perfectly. I don't have to pull off the road or anything like that. And if I hear, you know, someone I'm talking to, I go, oh, my gosh. And they're going, what, what, what? I, say, I just about hit somebody. <laughs> or they just about hit me. <laughs> That's when you're really getting into the conversation, right? But you, you, you can't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what the next five minutes is going to bring. You just don't know. There are things that you can hope that will happen. I hope that the word will fall not on deaf ears this morning, but it will fall on ears that are hungry and active, Right? Another passage is in Matthew 6.34. might want to turn there for just a moment. Look at a few of those surrounding verses. We read Luke's version of that this morning. He says in verse 34, Matthew 6.34, So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And all God's people said, Amen. (laughs) Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why do we need to be worrying about tomorrow? Let's just get through today, right? Sometimes you're going, I made it through today. You lay down at night. And don't ever say that. Can anything else go wrong? (laughs) Right? And all of a sudden your bed goes... (laughs) Kids snuck in there and took the wheels off or something. Our focus is to be <laughs> on today, right? Today. Let's focus on today. Sometimes in a day, say when you failed God, you grieved Him by your sin. Maybe you were having so much war during that day in your thought life and you felt like that you were not at all an overcomer and you struggled throughout the day and you went to bed that night and you laid there in tears and you're going, Lord, I hope tomorrow is not the same. 
you know, you did all you could to maintain that day. Just to get through that day with a little bit of victory, right? So why in the world we got to think about tomorrow? The only thing I think about tomorrow on that level is, you know, maybe tomorrow I won't have the same struggle. Maybe there's something in this from today that I can hang on to that will help me for tomorrow, right? See, these businessmen, they were making plans for a whole year, and they couldn't even see ahead for one day. So many people live for tomorrow as if they are certain it will come to pass. Then they ignore today and what God requires of them today. Back up in Matthew 6, look at verse 25. Notice what he says. He says, do not worry about your life. Drop down to verse 31. Do not worry. Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Listen, that's all you need to be concerned about. Quit worrying. You sit there and worry and you go, oh, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills this month. Well, first of all, you haven't even got through the month. Anything can happen, right? Anything good can happen. Maybe you do walk out to the mailbox and you find a check from a long-lost relative that left you an inheritance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're really dreaming, aren't we? <laughs> Anything is possible. Maybe you get a rebate check you thought you, you forgot about. You sent it in 16 years ago. I hate rebates. <laughs> you know, I think the way they do it is it takes so long because they're hoping you'll forget about it. You know, I like the instant rebates. And I have before. Mailed them off three months later. Hey, I thought I mailed something off. You call them, they go, we don't have any information. Send it again. Forget it. <laughs> Wasn't worth thirty dollars. You know, again, anything can happen. Quit worrying. The context of the whole passage here is telling us: don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Oh, we go to the closet. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to wear today. I know what I'm going to wear tomorrow. I'm getting out my clothes for tomorrow. The only thing I care is if they're clean. And sometimes I, I don't even care if they're ironed. You know what I mean? Because I figure I got a jacket on; it's going to cover it up anyway. I just want to make sure I don't have one of those threads on my ties that when I go to pull it, my whole tie unravels, you know. Had that happened before. He says, do not worry about your life. What do you need to be focused on? What should be your concern? Because he says, all these things that the Gentiles eagerly seek, and your heavenly Father, verse 32, knows that you need all these things. He already knows it. You... Focus on seeking His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. Even in those months where you hadn't gotten enough hours at work, your paycheck's a little less than it normally is, He will take care of it. Be faithful. You know what happens? You know what happens what we do sometimes? When the paycheck's smaller, we stop giving and we think, oh, well, you know, I need this more than the church needs it, or I need this more than God needs it. First of all, God doesn't need it. What he wants from you is your obedience, right? Give anyway. Give. He says in Luke, give and it will be given unto you. Press down, shaken together. It just so happens maybe God will bless you in that manner. It happens. It does happen. It's happened to me. If it happens to me. It can happen to you. I'm nobody special. Do not worry, he says. Focus on today. People even put off coming to Christ. They'll say, tomorrow I'll do this. 
And they're not promised tomorrow. The Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't wait till you walk out of here. It's right now. Don't wait till an invitation. Because for one, there isn't, there isn't in a walk the aisle kind of thing. It's right now. The invitation started the very moment you drove on this, in this parking lot. The very moment you walked in these doors. The very moment we were sharing with you through the music time. It's right now. Now is the day of salvation. So you have no certainty of tomorrow. Notice also the second argument that James gives for foolish planning. It refers to the brevity of life. And he says, you have no certainty of life itself. He says, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. In other words, he's telling you that it is temporary. James says it's just like a vapor. And a vapor, the word that he uses here is, it speaks of steam or smoke. It's, it's used of steam from a kettle. Smoke from which the wind would carry it away. One minute it's here, next minute it is gone. It's a puff of smoke. The Bible used different terms other than that to speak of the brevity of life. For example, in Job 7 and verse 7, he uses the word breath to speak of that brevity. He says, remember that my life is but breath. The word cloud is used to speak of brevity. Verse 9 of Job 7 says, when a cloud vanishes, it's gone. So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He also uses the word grass over in Psalm 103, verse 15, to speak of brevity. And it says, as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. And when the wind is passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. Or Psalm 102, verse 11, speaks of brevity as a shadow. He says, my days are like a lengthened shadow and I wither away like grass. He's speaking of brevity of life here. He's talking about the temporariness of it. Again, you don't have any guarantee for the next five minutes, next two minutes, next 60 seconds. Five seconds, one second, millisecond. (laughs) You have no guarantee, period. The only thing that you have a guarantee of is that you have no guarantee. Got it? That's like the person says, I don't believe in absolutes. And you say, well, are you absolutely sure of that? Absolutely. Not only is it temporary, notice what else he says, it's frail. Listen, if we have no guarantee of tomorrow, then yeah, today we should live to the fullest. Give your best today. Some of you wake up in the morning and you go, I wish I was still in bed. Takes you six hours to wake up. Or you get to the evening and you finally wake up. I don't know where Jeremy got that night owl thing. Well, I do know. He got it from me years ago, but I was all over that. I was done. Jeremy stays up all night, sleeps all day. That's what I used to do. So all throughout the day, I called him up one day and he goes, Oh, it's like three in the afternoon. Are you asleep? Yeah. Time you go to bed? 6 a.m. Talk to you later. <laughs> Click. Well, whether you sleep all day and up all night, or you're up all day and you sleep all night, or you're up all day and you're up all night, <laughs> whichever it is, give your best at whatever is at hand. You know? 
And I can only think about my best and my energy at going after something when I think about Cody at 7.30 at night. The poor kid is bouncing literally from chair to chair, running in full motion. Cheeks are strawberry red. And poor Nathan is right there on the floor, and he gets plowed over, and nothing stops him. And we'll go to grab him, and he gets loose. And he's just running. You spank him. He still doesn't stop. The only thing I can think about that and apply to my life, as we all would say, I wish I had that energy, (laughs) is to go at life with that fullness, to go at what God has set before you with that kind of dedication. Nothing would stop him. No obstacle in the way. The kid's got more tolerant to pain than any kid I've ever met. He could bounce off the wall. You think he broke his nose or his arm or leg. or One day I'm watching him. He's standing there on the end of the steps and he just did this. <laughs> and I'm going like this and I didn't catch him. He fell. And we have concrete floor with carpet over it. And I heard his head hit that. He cried for like two minutes. That was it. And he was off doing it. He was like, stay off the steps. This is why. But the dedication I think about right there, you know. I mean, it gets humorous after a while. It's also frustrating after a while. Poor little Nathan's getting run over. And we keep stopping him going, quit running over him. I think what's going to happen when Nathan starts running, he's going to do it to him. They're going to go. (laughs) 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 I think that's what's going to (laughs) happen. But that's what I think about in terms of the will of God. Why can't we go that, that hard after the things of God? I mean, we get to a ball game, which I heard was on this week. And no, I didn't watch it. I know that was the subject line in Facebook. You know, I think Raquel says, I think I'm the last person on earth that didn't watch the game or something. I'm thinking, no, I'm not watching it either. And there were probably 100,000 other people that were not. Nothing against it. I remember Michael was walking out and somebody asked him, are you going to watch the game? Tom says no. (laughs) But think of the intensity that's going on by the players in the game, right? Think about the people watching the game. Think about Ashley in your living room watching the game, right? I hear she's really into it. But think about the intensity. We give so much intensity to stuff like that. Why can't we run that hard and scream that loud and have that kind of energy about the things of God? And I'm not saying or implying, especially by using some names, that they're not doing that. I'm saying as a whole, why can't we do that? What motivates you? What motivates you? It says in Romans thirteen twelve, The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Listen, there's coming a time when everything will end. How about Second Peter? He talks about the day of the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 11. And he talks about since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? If you know that the end is near, it's going to change your attitude. It's going to change your priorities. It's going to change what you focus on. We know that the end is coming. We just don't know when 
it's coming, right? But we can look at the signs. We can evaluate the seasons. And we can get an idea. I was thinking yesterday. I was thinking if, what would the one world religion be? For years, it was always thought it would be Catholicism. Do you know that? I have my guess. I'm not saying I'm right. I don't know. I kind of think it's going to be Muslim. You just look how quickly it's being accepted. Everywhere. And even our country is looking into Muslim law. You watch that. I read these articles, and this is one of the reasons why I'm on Facebook, to educate you. But I'll stick up a note from an article and let you read it of something that is tucked away on a a news site that only so many people find, you know? And it'll talk about stuff like that. You just watch how quickly. In fact, I put on there just maybe yesterday, day before yesterday, I think it was day before yesterday, how the Muslims are saying our time is now with the election of Obama. I read the article, stuck it up there. It's up there. Go, go and see it. That's what they're saying. Our time is now. Well, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? We know that the end is near. It's coming. I believe we're in the last of the last days, personally. And since we know these things, Peter says, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. If we know that the end is coming, the end is near, then it ought to produce a certain response in us, a godliness, a holiness. All of us in here could probably testify that there are so many aspects of our life we hate. We hate it when we fail God. We hate it when we say something that we shouldn't have said. We hate it that we can't take it back and the person can immediately have their mind erased, you know, that we said that thing. Or, or a deed that we had done. Or a place that we went. But you can't. I think we need to go head strong. If God wills, this is what we'll do. Let me show you what should be considered in the planning. I'm hitting on this right now, but look at verse 15. He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Again, the Lord's will must be considered in all of our plans. Paul included it in his prayers. He said in his prayer to the Romans that he was requesting to find a way in the will of God to come to you. Man, that's an intense prayer. I'm trying to find a way to come to you in the will of God. So you need to consider it in your prayers, your plans. When he was in Ephesus, he asked them, they asked him if he would stay longer. Acts 18.21 says that he said, I will return to you again if God wills. I'd like to come back too, but God might not will that I come back. Again, this should be all part of our lives. We've talked about the will of God before. We talked about that you need to be saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, suff- uh, sanctified, saying thanks and suffering. You know, the 
five S's. That should be true of your life. If you're here today and you're not born again, then you cannot know the will of God because the will of God begins right there. Secondly, as in the will of God or as in Christ, you are to be spirit-filled. Be not drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the will of God. And not only that, to be sanctified, for this is the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, your sanctification. Or 1 Peter 2, to be submissive. You're called to be submissive to those who are in authority. This is the will of God, that by your obedience there, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And even says in Philippians 1.29 that God has also graciously granted you to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. So suffering is part of that. See, I, as I gave you those illustrations, and I, again, think about Cody and his headstrong direction there. I mean, we all have it. He's just manifesting it very loudly right now. I think about this. I want my will to be so in tune with God's will that His will is my will. That when I think about what I am doing, what are the steps that I'm taking in a situation, that I'm walking by His Spirit, I'm praying, and that my will is His will. I've had this happen a couple times. I thought it was pretty neat. Something I was praying about, praying all day about it, just asking God what to do in this situation. And I'm driving somewhere. And I'm thinking through the situation, continuing to pray, because prior to that, I don't know what in the world I'm doing. All of a sudden, I start thinking of a couple things that should be a part of the meeting I'm fixing to have. I get into the meeting, and I talk to someone else in the meeting prior to everyone being there. And I ask them, what do you think we should do? And they mention the same two things. And I don't step back and go, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. That was God's will right there. And I step back and go, praise God. This is the direction he wants us to go in. You know, not beam me up, Scotty. You know, beam me up out of this situation. This is how we are to proceed. I've seen that happen a couple times. Probably happened more than a couple times, but a couple times I recall very specifically. Jesus is the supreme example, right? He said in John 5.30, I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. His whole purpose when he came was to do the will of the Father, to teach what the Father gave him to teach, to accomplish redemption. John 6.38, he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Even on the cross, actually anticipating the cross, he cried out to the Father in his prayer in Luke twenty two forty two. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Our will must become his will. So what should be considered in our planning? The Lord's will should be considered in everything that we do, in all of our plans. Where are you going to eat today? Where are you going to go tomorrow? 
Again, you're focusing more on today, not tomorrow. Make the plans for tomorrow, but make sure the Lord is part of the plans. Why don't you write in your day timer, in your calendar, if the Lord wills, real big. Go ahead and make your plans, but if the Lord wills. I think about that when I'll say, somebody, see tomorrow? I have no assurity I'll see them tomorrow, whether I am here or they are here, Right? I'll see you tomorrow if the Lord wills. And then I think of somebody say, well, I'll see you at church Wednesday if the Lord wills. And I'm thinking, he does will. You be at church. <laughs> well, look at verse 16 and 17 as we conclude this. And notice what self-confident planning promotes. He mentions two things here. He says in verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What do you think that answer is? What does it promote? It promotes evil boasting. The word boast here can mean to be loudmouth, to speak loudly. It could speak of legitimate rejoicing someone. It's just really going to town on excitement and joy and bliss, which happened when the Gators won, right? Or it could refer to someone who is touting their own accomplishments. They did win, didn't they? See who watched it? I thought that's what I heard. <sighs> Make sure, walk out and they go, <laughs> he didn't even know who won. <laughs> Do read the news. See, the context indicates that James is referring to the latter. He's referring to someone who is touting their own accomplishments. You know, we went into this city, we made a plan, we went there, we made all this money. We're going back tomorrow. That's evil boasting. The word arrogance here, it comes from the root word meaning to wander about. It reflects an empty pretense. It's sometimes used of charlatans who traveled around selling phony goods. So he says, as it is, you're, you're boasting, you're, you're having this phony, this, this arrogance. You're running around mouthing out this great accomplishment, this wondering about. And he says, all such boasting is evil. See, if you take both of those words together, it would picture someone bragging pretentiously about something that he doesn't have and something that he can't obtain. That is arrogance. James says of those that this is of arrogance of those who deny the will of God. He says you're boasting about a tomorrow that is not promised and you're presuming on your own ability to fulfill your plans. So the first is evil boasting. The second is you're rejecting what is right. To him who knows what to do and does not do it, it is sin. You've been listening today to a message from James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 called Biblical Planning. This message is available on CD or as a free MP3 download. To place your order, call us at 904-651-3351. Or you can visit our website at www.changedbygrace.org. At our website, you can listen or download over 900 sermons. Again, our website is www.changedbygrace.org. Well, I'm Pastor Steve Herford, and I want to thank you for listening today. And I hope that you'll join us again next time as we declare to you the whole counsel of God.